0: Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make Walters your pre-match and post-match spot this summer for DC United home games.
1: Register at waltersdc.com slash events to get a free beer during pregame. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a
2: candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: A long drive to right field. Back on this one, Melendez to the warning track at the wall. He leaps and it's gone. It's down in the Royals bullpen for a three-run homer for Corey Dickerson. Nationals are back in front, five to two. Two down, bases full. The pitch. Curveball, ground ball, base hit inside the third base bag and down the line. Call scores. Abrams will score. Thomas to third will stop. And in its second, with his second double of the inning, is Luis Garcia. The Nationals, seven. The Royals, two. They've scored six. And a line drive base hit right field. Thomas will score. Garcia headed home. Melendez throw toward the plate is not in time. Garcia scores standing. It is nine to two Nationals. Here it is. Swinging a fly ball. Deep left center field. Way back it goes. Garrett to the track. At the wall he leaps. And this one is gone. It's now a one run game. The Nationals
4: nine and the Royals eight. Now the setting, cross delivers, swing and a fly ball toward the left field line, slicing. Long run for the left fielder, can't get it. Bounces off the side wall and foul ground and all the way out onto the wall in front of the bullpen. Garcia has scored, Manessas coming to the plate, he will score. And into third with a triple is Jamer Candelario. And the Nationals in double digits, now lead by the score of 11-8. 1-0 delivery. Swing and a line, drive, base hit to left. Two six-hit games in Nationals history. And the second one belongs to Luis Garcia. Another hit the opposite way to left field. They keep pitching him out there. He keeps smacking the ball to left field. It's his fourth single of the game to go with two doubles. And he ties the club
0: record. Six hits in a game. And on top of that, six for six. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, May 27th. 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So the Nats on Thursday played a wild game. We talked about that game on the last installment of this podcast, that 8-6 loss to the San Diego Padres at Nationals Park. The Nats in that game overcame a 5-1 seventh inning deficit with a five-run seventh, but then blew a 6-5 ninth inning lead. Well, the Nats on Friday night played another wild game, maybe even a wilder game, depending on how you wanted to define wild, but a 12-10 win at the Kansas City Royals in a game in which the Nats and the Royals combined for 22 runs, 28 hits, and 14 walks. Luis Garcia went six for six. The Nats off that five-run seventh on Thursday had an eight-run sixth on Friday night but the Nats won here. They're now 22-29. and 29. The Royals, they're not so good. They have the second worst record in the majors at 15-37. and 37. But Mark, uneventful, these last two Nationals games have not been.
1: Yeah, I thought I left you guys to deal with the crazy one on Thursday. <laughs> in my absence, no, this one was right up there with it. The result was better, but the process to get there was maybe even crazier. If I had told you entering the day, that we were going to be talking about Chad Cool recording a five-out save. What would you have thought?
0: Uh, I would have said to myself, is that good or bad? I, I can't figure that out. <laughs> right. I'm still not sure if that's good or bad, to be honest with you, but the Nats did win. It was so odd because you had this eight-run six on Friday night, which was spectacular, that eight-run six, but you ended up needing a three-run eighth to preserve the bullpen. It was remarkable how this game was playing out. The Nats looked like they were going to cruise to a blowout win. Instead, the game ended up being close and then got back to being maybe not a blowout, but blowout-ish. And then the Royals added some more runs. So you never knew exactly what to think about this game.
1: No. And that's why I'm still convinced it's not over yet. I expect I'm going to look over my shoulder and Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be coming up to bat again with runners on base with another chance to hit a home run. this was such a weird one in so many ways. All the good stuff they did offensively, but it never really felt safe. And that's in part because of the issues the Nationals have bullpen wise. But particularly on this night, when it sounds like reading between the lines, there were four guys unavailable to pitch in this game, including the top two late inning guys Finnegan and Harvey. And so that left Davey Martinez scrambling along the way. I guess props to the offense, they just kept coming through with more because they needed in the end every one of those runs to come out of this thing on
0: top. Yeah, you are essentially left with two principal takeaways. A, this Nationals offense can be great. Certainly was great on Friday night. Overall has not been great this season, but is capable of great, and we saw that In this game. But the other takeaway is the Nats bullpen is a mess right now. This bullpen is not in a good place. This bullpen cannot be trusted. And we saw more bullpen boo boos on Friday night. But no doubt the Nationals offense in this game ended up being tremendous. I mean, you know, 12 runs, 15 hits. The Nats in this game drawing nine walks. I mean, think about that. The Nats are not a team that draws a ton of walks, yet nine walks on Friday night and leading the way was a truly special game by Luis Garcia. Luis Garcia on Friday night as an ad starting second baseman and number two batter joined Anthony Rendon as the only Nats players since the franchise moved to Washington DC to go six for six in a game. Garcia went six for six with a two-run double, another double, and four singles. Five of the six hits were opposite field hits, and Garcia in that eight-run sixth had two Opposite field doubles. Yes, two. A leadoff opposite field double off the left field wall. And the first pitch, two out. Bases loaded, two run. Opposite field double to left field for a 7-2 Nats lead. Luis Garcia looked so good at the plate in this game on Friday night. Him getting these hits seemed automatic. Him going the opposite way. I mean, he was like, you know, a Tony Gwynn or Rod Carew. The way that Garcia was manipulating these pitches and just poking them out into the opposite field. Man, what a performance by Garcia.
1: I was going to say Tony Gwynn is what it reminded me of. Just on this one night, the ability to put the bat on the ball and guide it to wherever you wanted to put it. How often does a guy get a chance to start a rally with a double and then cap it off with another double that scores runs later on? He's actually the first in Nationals history with two doubles in the same inning. And he almost, he was one batter away from having a chance to also have two singles in a separate inning. He was on deck in the top of the eighth when Lane Thomas made the final out that could have extended that inning and Garcia could have come up again with another chance. It really was a special night and he was really good in the field as well. And he actually mentioned that in his post-game interview with us that that's what stood out to him as being most impressive, what he was most proud of from this game. There are at least two, maybe three really nice plays at second base that he was proud of. But yeah, this was the Luis Garcia game, everything you could want. You saw in this one the benefits of a guy who is so good at putting the bat on the ball. Sometimes it's a detriment because he reaches for too many pitches and doesn't make good contact. But here he was able to keep his balance They were not weak swings. They were good, solid contact swings and an ability to go the other way and come through in big spots. These weren't meaningless hits. Most of these were very significant in the latter half of this game to help lead them to win.
0: So Luis Garcia, I think in a lot of ways, captures this Nats offense this season. He can be good. He has been good at times. His overall numbers, though, are not particularly good. You know, we never really talked about this on the podcast. Luis Garcia last weekend in the Nationals winning two or three games over the Detroit Tigers at Nationals Park only played in one of the three games. And that's had the off day this past Monday. And so Luis Garcia in that series against the Tigers only ended up playing in the one game, the game won on Friday night. Davey Martinez ended up giving Garcia three consecutive days off. That was interesting and unusual. I mean, you don't often see something like that and, you know, Davey pretty clearly felt like Garcia needed what uh Davey Johnson used to call a mental break. You know, Luis Garcia has been up and down offensively this season. The defense for the most part has been good, but we saw on Friday night, I mean, this isn't like a revelation, but he really can be great as a hitter. You know, it's just a matter of being more consistent as a hitter, but the ability to be a high average, high on base guy even is there.
1: Yeah, the skills are there. He did it in the minor leagues. He's done it at times in the big leagues. It's just about discipline. It's about repeating the swing. It's about maintaining balance. It's about pitch recognition, swinging at the right pitches and all that. And You, know, you were mentioning Tony Gwynn, Rod Carew, obviously all-time greats there. He also reminds me a little bit, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way because I do not mean it in a derogatory way. Reminds me a little bit of Christian Guzman when he was here with the Nationals. Really good contact skills. And when Guzman was good, he was, I'm, I'm looking at his stats here, 2007, 2008. He hit 328 with a 380 on base percentage one year, 316 with a 345 on base percentage and a 440 slugging percentage. He was an all star in 2008. Now he didn't sustain that over many years of his career, but there were periods there where Christian Guzman was doing exactly what Luis Garcia did in this game. Good bat to ball skills using the entire field, getting the ball in the air, hitting mostly singles, the occasional double, there is value in that. It doesn't make him a superstar. and I'm not sure the Nationals need Luis Garcia to be a superstar. They need him to be a consistent offensive threat and a very good defensive second baseman. And I think we have seen now over the course of the last several years that he has that ability to be that guy. It's up to him to do it day in and day out, year in and year out. But nights like this remind you that he can be that guy. He may not be the centerpiece of the rebuild, but he can be a really important piece of this thing in the long run.
0: So Luis Garcia certainly led the way for the Nats offense in this game, but there were so many other guys who did so many other good things in this game. Joey Manessis on Friday night. He got on base four times, three for five with an RBI double, a two-run single, another single, and a walk. Each of the three hits and the walk came with him having been down at 1.02 or one two. Top of the first, a one-out walk despite having been down at 1.02. Manessis in the Nats, eight-run sixth, two-run scoring hits, an RBI double to left field to tie the game at two despite having been down in that count at 1.12, and a two-out, two-run opposite field single to right field on an 0-2 pitch for a 9-2 Nats lead. And Manessis in the Nats three-run eighth, a single to the left center field gap on an 0-2 pitch. You know, with this game, it wasn't just what the Nats were doing. It was, to me, in a lot of ways, how the Nats were doing what they were doing. Garcia going the opposite way on five of his six hits. Manessis in all of these two-strike counts, providing productive plate appearances. Good game, Joey Manessis.
1: Yeah, and the kind of thing they need more from him. He's not hitting for power yet, but that's okay if he can put the bat on the ball. And really we saw this last year when he was going very well. He was really good at just driving the ball to right field for singles and doubles. And he's doing that right now. He may not be pulling the ball for power, but he is coming through in in some significant spots. And in his case, you had in that sixth inning, the RBI double that kind of got started after Garcia's leadoff double, and then the final blow, the two run single after Garcia's second double. So, those are meaningful hits for him. And in the spot that he's in in this lineup, they need him to have meaningful hits. And then it really got lost in the shuffle, but I think the other big at bat of the game was Corey Dickerson and his three run homer. And at the moment, I thought to myself, well, that's going to be the story of this game. It wound up being a side note, but I don't want to overlook that one. That was a great at bat and a really significant home run for a guy who. Hasn't had a lot of opportunities yet this year to make a difference.
0: Yeah, some big extra base hits for our Nationals on Friday night. Who says all that the Nats do is hit singles? But Dickerson in the eight-run six, a full-count three-run homer to right field for a 5-2 Nats lead. He also had a leadoff walk in the top of the seventh inning. So Corey Dickerson, since finally coming back from the injury, has been productive. And he's showing some pop, and he obviously showed some more pop. On Friday nights, he had the Corey Dickerson home run. Jamer Candelario on Friday night, one for five, but the one was a two-run triple. He also drew a walk, but uh, Candelario in what ended up being an important three-run eighth inning for the Nats, a two-run opposite field triple to left field on an 0-2 pitch for an 11-8 Nats lead, and yet another instance of good two-strike hitting by the Nats. And oh yeah, Lane Thomas homered again. This got like completely forgotten by the time that the game ended. But Lane Thomas on Friday night in a Nats one run first, a leadoff home run. So another first inning hit for Lane Thomas and another home run for Thomas in May. This was a bomb to left field. He was down in that count at 1.02. Again, more good two strike hitting by the Nats. 421 feet for Stadcast. Thomas for the game, one for five with the solo homer and a walk. And Thomas now for this month of May. Mr. May, Lane Thomas, eight home runs. He, for this month, has a 365 on base and a 629 slugging. Uh, man, again, Lane Thomas coming through in a game in this month of May.
1: So think about it this way. Eight homers this month, and the month isn't over yet. We've got a few more days. Eight homers in a month is 48 for a season, if you were to do that times six. Obviously, that's a ridiculous total. If you just cut that in half, and he had just four homers a month for the entire season, that's 24 for the entire season. That would be great. Everybody would happily take that from Lane Thomas. So we keep saying, oh, well, he's got to show he can sustain this. He doesn't even have to do that. He just has to be something like what we've seen from him in May, the rest of this season. And it's going to be really productive for them. It's been a nice thing. I do like, there's something we said for that game opening home run. It sets a tone for the game and for the night. And I know in this case, they went basically silent after that, until the sixth inning. But I thought that was going to be the start of a really big night for them at the plate against Jordan Lyles. And Lane Thomas got that started.
0: He is the only Nationals position player who qualifies for leaderboards to have an OPS for this season of above 800. Uh, Lane Thomas's OPS is at 812. And I know this may sound funny, but you know I brought up recently, well, who is your Nationals all-star for this season? Every team has to have one. I think for now, you would say Josiah Gray if for some reason Josiah started to struggle or just something resulted to where he doesn't make the all-star team, I wonder if Lane Thomas would get a look. I mean, if he continues to hit like this, he has an OPS over 800. That's pretty good. I mean, the fact that we can entertain this, I think says a lot. Yes, about other guys too. But I mean, Lane Thomas is putting together a nice season here. Like if I said to you, who has been the Nats best hitter this season at this point? How do you not say Lane Thomas?
1: No, it is absolutely him, and and you must be prescient, Al, because we were actually discussing this in the press box during the game. Could Lane Thomas end up being the Nationals' all-star rep? There's going to be a lot of outfielders in that discussion, so that could be difficult. But if they're in a, a situation where they have to pick somebody to represent the team, and for whatever reason, Josiah Gray tails off or doesn't make sense for it, Lane Thomas could very well be in that discussion. I'd be surprised if they get two all-stars. But if he has a June, like he's had in April, he's going to force his way into that conversation. It's been a nice thing to see. And even going back to last year, and I, I know people sort of scoffed at it and the totals weren't anything that spectacular, but he did win the Player of the Year award that we handed out from uh, media members. The caveats being Juan Soto, Josh Bell were not eligible because they weren't on the team anymore. Joy Manessis only played the last two months. It wasn't really enough to consider it. But from day one to day 162 of the season, Lane Thomas was probably their best offensive player last year, and he can still be a, a part of this moving forward. Again, maybe not the focal point of it, like Luis Garcia, he can still be an important part of this team as they build for the future.
0: So as we record this installment of the That Chat podcast here in the early morning hours of Saturday The Nationals for this season are just 20th in the majors in team slugging percentage, although that is an increase from where the Nats had been. But take a listen to this. The Nats now for this season are number eight in the majors in team on base percentage at 330. And the Nats are number three in the majors in team batting average for this season at 267. We've noted this before. It's the lack of power. It's not so much the lack of getting hits or getting on base that has harmed the Nats offensively this season. But I wonder how many people listening would think this to be true. Well, it'd be true. The Nats are top 10 in the majors in both team on base percentage and team batting average. In fact, are top five in the majors in team batting average.
1: And I think at least when I checked a few days ago, they had the fewest strikeouts in the majors, I think. Is that still true or not? I'm not sure. They have a style, (laughs) okay? It may not be everybody's preferred style in 2023. It may not be the most effective day in and day out style, but given what they have to work with, this is who they're going to be. And I don't think that's such a bad thing. And I think we've seen here in the last couple of weeks, it can produce some really lengthy and impressive rallies. You had it in this game. You had it on Thursday. You had that five-run first inning a while back that they put together they have already shown now in the first, you know, third of this season that they have an ability to put together long innings and sustain rallies with this style of contact and singles and the occasional double thrown in there. It can work. It's not there every night, but it is a path to success for them offensively.
0: Yeah, Nats are next to last in the majors in total number of strikeouts. Cleveland is last, but the Nats have played one more game than Cleveland has played. And just to amplify your point about the rallies, you look at the Nats starting with uh, their game now two Friday nights ago. So what was that 8-6 loss to the Tigers? Here are your Nats run totals starting with that game. 6-5, 6-4, 5-6, 12. I mean, those are pretty good, pretty respectable run totals here going on for about a week now. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Natchat chat sponsor, Mason Kalfas, and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kelpis has recruiters in six states and displaced lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and health care. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today. With Mason Kalfis. Call Mason today at 202 486 3535. That number again, 202 486 3535.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Wire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner Chad Cool starts his
4: windup. Here's the kick. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with a slider. And with all of that, bang, Zuma, curly W's in the books. Chad Cool comes on to get the final five outs of the game and records his first major league save. The final score,
0: the Washington Nationals 12, the Kansas City Royals 10 there was the Nats hitting on Friday night, and the hitting was really good. And then there was the Nats pitching on Friday night, and uh, the Nats pitching in this game was not so good. So Patrick Corbin was the Nats starting pitcher on Friday night. The final line doesn't end up truly telling you how Corbin was, but you certainly can't sit here and say that he was, like, really good in this game. So the final line six runs in six and a third innings. Now he allowed three runs in six innings. So he had himself yet another quality start, but he was brought back out there to pitch the seventh inning. And he, in what ended up being a five run seventh for the Royals, was charged With three runs, he began the bottom of the seventh by giving up back-to-back singles and issuing a walk before recording it out. And uh, all three of those runners ended up scoring off reliever Orasmo Ramirez. We'll be getting to him momentarily. Uh, Corbin, for this game, gave up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, and four singles. He issued four walks. And I know, to me, that's what stuck out maybe more than anything because Corbin lately had been so good at limiting the walks. But four walks in this game. Did have six strikeouts. That was good. He threw 108 pitches, 66 strikes. Versus 42 balls. Uh, what'd you think of Corbin in this game?
1: I thought when he left the mound at the end of the sixth that this was just another solid reflection of who Patrick Corbin has become this year. Not going to be great, but he's going to get the job done. He's going to give you innings and he's going to give them a chance to win with what at that moment looked like another quality start. Yeah, the walks were troublesome. Gave up a homer to Bobby Witt Jr., but who didn't in this game? And I thought, okay, that's fine. And I think in different circumstances, that would have been his night at the end of the sixth. But you had a bullpen that was severely depleted, as we found out at the end of the night. You could sort of surmise as this thing played out. Kyle Finnegan was down. Hunter Harvey was down. Thaddeus Ward was down. Andres Machado was down. They were trying to avoid using Mason Thompson. He did not pitch. He was very briefly warming near the end in case of emergency. So you put that all together. And you have Patrick Corbin at the end of the sixth inning at 92 pitches. And the Nationals, because of the big rally, up, what, nine to three at that point? And so you put him back out there. And unfortunately, things fell apart after that. It's still up to him to get the job done. You know, he has certainly shown that he can throw more than 100 pitches in his career, but it fell apart pretty quickly. And then you were left to put Erasmo Ramirez into a huge jam in the seventh, and it did not go well at all, and that's why Corbin's line, I don't think, looked very good in the end, even though I thought he pitched fine. Not great, but I thought he pitched fine.
0: Yeah, it's a shame that in a game in which you were up 9-2, you had to start playing the bullpen game and use all of these relievers, and you know, this is something we've talked about where Davey Martinez, it feels like every game, it's like at least three relievers, and he used three in this game. You're up 9-2. That's a recipe for your starter to eat up innings, and unfortunately, that ended up not happening. And, you know, if your starter's not going to do that, then, okay, maybe your first reliever in the game ends up throwing two or three innings. Well, that ended up not happening. You know, it's funny. You mentioned that Lane Thomas for last season was the Nats player of the year. That made me think of who the Nats pitcher of the year was for last season. And that was Erasmo Ramirez. And look, Erasmo at times has been good for the Nats, but uh, he in this game was not good. Three Nats relievers on Friday night combined to give up four runs in two and two-thirds innings on six hits, a walk, and a hit-by pitch. Erasmo officially allowed two runs, but there was more to his outing than just that. He did not record an out. He came into the game bottom of the seventh, bases loaded, one out, Nats up 9-3. He did not retire any of the three batters he faced. To the first batter he faced, gave up a first pitch, one out, two-run double by Salvador Perez, down the left field line to cut the Nats' lead to 9-5. And Ramirez then gave up a one-out three-run homer by Bobby Witt Jr. to left center field to cut the Nats' lead to 9-8. And then Ramirez gave up a one-out single by MJ Melendez to center field. So the Nats go up 9-2, and then just like that, it's 9-8. I mean, it really didn't take long to go from up 9-2 to up just 9 8. Carl Edwards Jr. came into the game. He officially allowed two runs in one inning. And uh, then the aforementioned Chad Cool came into the game and he ended up officially tossing one and two thirds scoreless innings with two strikeouts. I mean, this was the B, even C team of a bullpen on Friday night and the results were not good.
1: This was piecing it together however you have to do it in the end. You know, with the benefit of, of hindsight now. I think the play instead of all this may have been pull Corbin after six and let Chad Cool go out there for the seventh and potentially go the rest of the way, depending on how he did. And if he gets into trouble, maybe you can go to Carl Edwards and use him to finish it out. I did not love bringing in a Rosmo Ramirez with the bases loaded against the heart of their lineup. And I know it's not a great lineup, but Salvador Perez has been a pretty good hitter for a while. Bobby Witt Jr. may be a future star, and certainly in this game, he looked like one and you're just giving Erasmo zero margin for error. Now, maybe you give him a clean inning, it doesn't make a difference. Maybe he also would have struggled. Things are not going well for Ramirez right now. But it felt like pushing Corbin beyond what was reasonable at that point. And in doing so, you put a reliever into a bad spot to begin with. I think I would have rather just had a clean inning for somebody there. Again, the options were very limited Who knows how the audience would have played out. Not going to really go into a lot of second guessing of the manager on a night when half of his bullpen and pretty much all of his top guys were unavailable. But boy, this was a challenge to get through this game and it's kind of a minor miracle they did actually get through it and
0: win. And you look at things moving forward, the Nats don't have a scheduled off day until this Thursday. The Nats have two more games at the Royals, who are really bad, make no mistake. And your uh, remaining two starting pitchers for the Nats in this series are Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore. So hopefully those guys give you some length. But then after this series, does come a series at the mighty Los Angeles Dodgers. So, yeah, things could get dicey with the state of this Nats bullpen. One other item here you mentioned Bobby Wood Jr. potentially being a future star. So, a lot of talk in recent days about another potential future star, and that would be outfielder James Wood, who has been tearing it up for the Nationals' high A affiliate, Wilmington. James Wood has an OPS of 955 for Wilmington. The on base percentage is 390. The slugging percentage is is 565. Do you think James Wood being at the major league level at some point next season is realistic? Do you think that we could be looking at that? Because this guy right now is hitting like a phenom.
1: I think it's certainly possible. Yeah. Now he's got to show it at higher levels. He's still at A ball and there's a huge difference each level you go up from now. I think the telltale sign will probably be coming, say maybe in the next month or so. He keeps this up, I could see them bumping him up to double A and he spends the second half of the season there. If that happens and if he has success at double A, that opens the door for some time in 2024 for him to be up here. They're not going to force that issue, there's no need to, no reason to do that. They'll let him dictate it but if he is thriving and is showing that he can master each level, We've seen Mike Rizzo's not afraid to move guys fairly quickly and get them to the big leagues at a fairly young age. So yeah, it's entirely possible. I think the key things to pay attention to now are when is he bumped up to double A? How is that adjustment go when it happens? And can he sustain some success there for the rest of the season? If he gets, you know, two to three months of double A experience and is good there to end this season, yeah, that definitely puts him on a path to make his major league debut sometime next season.
0: Yeah, James Wood, number seven prospect in baseball per MLB Pipeline. Looking the part here so far. Also, I do, I do want to make mention of this. Cole Henry, he on Friday for High A Wilmington, another uh, minor league outing for him. Uh, he gave up one run in four innings. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat at gmail.com. Don't forget, we are accepting with open arms your tales of October 2019, your memories from the Nats run to winning the World Series. So you can send us a voice memo with your thoughts, your memories. Again, email address, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have a new website too, natschatpodcast.com. You at that site can listen to previous installments of the show. can also get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Natsat Podcast, and we leave you with these October 2019 memories from Eric all the way in the Dominican Republic. Hey,
5: Tim, Al, and Mark. Eric Johnson here down in the Dominican Republic, your faithful listener, thinking about our 2019 favorite memories from October. And there's so many of them. It's hard to name one or two. I tend to go back and watch That NLDS against the Dodgers. That was such a great series where the Dodgers would win a game, then we would win a game, and back and forth it just seemed like it was gonna be a real difficult task to beat the Dodgers. But I thought specifically of game four when the Nats had squandered some opportunities early in the middle of the game to kind of take the advantage. And then Zimmerman came up with two on and he hit a ball that was well out of the strike zone, but he crushed it to center field and and Charlie just gave it a great call and when I think about that season, there are a lot of highlights, but that's one of them that when he hit that home run, I felt like, wow, this might be a different year. And then two days later, that back and forth game when Howie hits the home run, really, that was just, I think those are some of my favorite memories of 2019. Of course, going on to win the Winter World Series was great as well, but I'll always remember Zim coming through with one of those great memories of all time. Thanks, guys.
4: The right-hander kicks the lever. Zim swings and drops one.